Rise before the sun It's that time of year Load up my gun Put on my gear Welcome back to The Healthy Hunter. I am Dr. Brooks Tiller, and here we go with a man that is someone today as a guest that I have looked up to for quite some time, and for many reasons, which I'm sure you'll know by the end of this show. My guest today grew up in Georgia, hunting and fishing, and he earned his journalism degree from the University of Georgia, and since then, he has spent his life as a writer and an editor. Currently, he's the director of communications for the Quality Deer Management Association and the editor of Quality Whitetails Magazine, which is a great publication. This man is one of the foremost and one of my favorite writers when it comes to deer management and hunting. But even more than that, he's a great guy, a great man, and I'm honored to welcome Mr. Lindsey Thomas Jr. to the Healthy Hunter Show today. Welcome, sir. Glad to have you. Thank you, Brooks. Man, that is one of the best introductions uh, anybody's ever given me. I'm, I'm honored, um, and I'm excited to be here with you. You know, I got to meet you and Emily in person last year at the Poma Conference for the first time, and I had been following y'all and, and you particularly on social media for a while, and uh, so it was great to get to meet you in person and, and uh, for us to both talk about a lot of our common interests. So it's a huge honor for me to, to be on this and, and, and talking with you today. Thank you for having me. Matt, no, it's my pleasure, and I'll be honest, folks, when we were at Poma Conference, uh, we were out, Emily and I were out checking out some of the things, and and I heard my name, and I turned around, and I recognized, and I was like, I think I know who that is. And and Mr. Thomas came over and shook my hand, and he was talking about how he had been following me and, you know, some of my health and fitness stuff. And it was just one of those things where, like, somebody that you look up to, somebody that you've read and you've seen in magazines and that sort of thing, that, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, this whole world of social media, like, it, you don't realize, like, the little things that you do sometimes can impact people that you don't even know that – even you look up to. So it was very humbling for sure whenever you came up and introduced and, and uh, I was very honored about that for sure. But you know, well, it was, it was humbling for me to find out that you knew who I was. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so tell me, uh, you know, and, and today we, we've got a lot of stuff going on, but just give us something good that's going on in your world today and maybe fill in any gaps about who you are and what you do and in, in the intro that we left out there. Well, you covered it pretty well. I'm, I'm here at QDMA. We're a nonprofit conservation organization that focuses on whitetails. I'm, I'm the director of communications. Been here almost 17 years. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's something going on good in my life and has been going on for a while is, is just being proud to be a part of this organization, proud of what we do, proud of helping teach deer hunters about better habitat, better herd management, um, but also to work on the future of deer hunting. That's part of QDMA's mission, uh, hunter recruitment and ensuring a, a sustainable future for the deer resource. Uh, all of those things that go into what we do here, um, it's a good day for me every morning to come into work. So, um, you know, it, it, it's spring. Uh, the flowers are blooming here in Georgia. The sun is actually out today. Um, it's time to get out there and, and shed hunt and do some things that are normal for this time of year in habitat management and get out and walk and exercise and enjoy the outdoors. So there's a lot good going on. Now, of course, we know, you know, uh, this is a time in our nation where we've, we're facing some pretty serious health challenges and uh, all of us have some responsibilities to do what we can to help, you know, stop the spread of COVID-19. Um, so, you know, here at QDMA, we're, we're having to do that. We're, we're down to a fairly small crew of essential employees that come into the building now and 
Most of us are working from home. We've had to cancel fundraising events. Um, like most nonprofit conservation organizations, that's going to be a challenge for us um, in, when it comes to fundraising for the next several weeks until we can get things back to normal. But but it's not anything that the whole nation isn't facing right now. All of us are facing challenges. And, um, you know, we see it as a time to be helping others as much as we can, to be helping other conservation organizations get through this um, and, and doing what we can to continue our mission um, and doing what we can to make sure that all of our members are safe and healthy as well and, and help our community, too. So um, this is it's a challenging time. But it's also a time for all of us to rise to the occasion and and uh, and help others. I totally agree, and I love that because so many times we could just look at how it's going to impact us, and I think that's one of the things that um, as as someone uh, I like to still consider myself as young, but I look at some of the numbers, you know, from healthcare standpoint of I work with elderly. And, and it's interesting that, you know, the tests that are coming back positive, it's more of the 20 to 30 year olds. And it, and part of it is, I know it's like, we're like, Hey, we're younger. We can go do stuff and it won't impact us. Um, you know, but it, it's part of doing our part the same way that we need to, um, always do our part. Like, you know, with what we do with QDMA is, you know, if, if all we do is look at ourself and try to take care of us and on that selfish mode, um, you know, it's not going to be around for the next generation. And I think that what you're doing there at QDMA, just even during this time, I mean, it's like you said, nonprofit, your, your focus is, you know, you have to get fundraisers and do things to raise money for what you're doing. And right now you're going to be hit hard, but, um, but it's great that y'all realize like everybody else is getting hit hard and, you know, everything's going to, everything's going to come out in the wash and everything will be fine in the end, whenever you take care of, take care of others and, and help out like you're supposed to. Yeah. You know, I, I think we all know hunting is going to be here. Hunting is fine. Hunting will continue. Just, um, you know, people are still going to want to hunt. And, and if anything, it, it, it uh, is even more important now. Folks like us are happy to have healthy wild food in the freezer that we can, you know, can help us sustain us through this time when, um, you know, it's, it's, you're taking a risk to go to the grocery store every time. Um, so, you know, and, and when this is passed, all of us are going to head right back to the woods and back to the streams. Uh, turkey season is open now, many spring turkey seasons. And, and, you know, it's, 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 that's a good way to socially distance yourself. Get out there and hunt a turkey. Um, and the Perfect. same will be true, you know, in, in the fall when deer season comes around. I'm hoping that by that time, we all hope that, that we have passed through this, this crisis period and moved and uh, moved on to rebuilding at that point. But, you know, we may not. Um, and if that comes around, I know we'll, you know, we're all still going to go get in the woods and uh, get out there and enjoy the outdoors, pursue our health in that way and, and uh, bring home healthy food. So um, hunting is going to be here. The importance of conservation organizations like ours are going to be here and, and others. Um, and we'll all adapt to this. It may even be end up a good thing to, to force some groups to adapt to uh, new standards of, of uh, operations. Um, you know, QDMA, I feel like we're fairly well diversified and ready for this. We've got a lot of educational resources online already, like our Deer Steward course that you can take online. It's it's a pre-filmed live audience uh, presentation that we recorded, and, and you take the course online and at home um, and go through it and get your Deer Steward certification. Well, that's been online for a while. So, we're able to continue, you know, with products and services like that when we can't hold fundraising events. Um, but, you know, other conservation organizations may not be able to do that as well. So we're helping them where we can promote their own online auctions and, and other things they're doing to raise funds right now. Um, it's a it's a tough time. I mean, like I said, we all want 
as well to be able to help folks locally in our own communities. There are people in our own communities who are, um, you know, uh, challenged right now and may not have enough food. And it's critical and more critical than ever for all of us to help folks like that. But, um, you know, at the same time, uh, doing doing what we can for, for every nonprofit too uh, is going to be important. We're going to keep working on that. Oh, I completely agree. And, and I always try to look at the positive in whatever situation we're in. And for this, I've had friends who have contacted me and like, Hey, do, do you have enough meat? If we run out of meat, can, you know, do you have, I'm like, yes, Hey, come get some elk, come get some deer, you want rabbit, turkey, what do you want? And I'm willing and able to, you know, hand some out. But in that, I think it's a great opportunity for us to educate others. Like you can do this yourself and, you know, and so that you don't find yourself in the situation where you're without food ever again. And, um, you know, and I always not trying to capitalize on it, but just try to educate others through this time whenever we can, you know, we might not, we might not invite someone over to eat with us, but we can maybe go to, you know, drop, drop a, a little cooler or drop a couple pieces of uh, packs of deer steak off at somebody's house that might need it and just send them an email, send them a text message. Here's how to fix this. Here's how to cook it in the crock pot, whatever it may be. And, and I think that's a great way to get others involved, especially in this time whenever, you know, we're socially distancing and, and, uh, and I think that'd be a great way to get other people involved. And, and speaking of getting involved, how did you first get involved in the outdoors? Well, like most of us, many of us, not everyone, but we know the majority of us, it, it, come, it came from being raised around it or introduced to it by a parent, a grandparent, uh, an uncle, an aunt, someone in the family um, who took you when you were younger and took you outdoors and taught you to hunt, taught you to fish, whatever that might have been. That's how it was for me uh, with my dad bringing me up and my brother and my sister bringing all of us up hunting and in the outdoors, uh, hunting, fishing, a little bit of all of it. Um, so I was exposed to it from a very young age. I have always been passionate about it. Um, and then luckily, you know, in my career, was able to combine my passion for writing and communication with uh, that love for the outdoors and conservation and hunting. So that's been a good combination for me. We know that most of us came into hunting that way. And that's really sort of the one of the conundrums we face today when it comes to hunter recruitment is as hunter numbers dwindle, particularly um, the older segment, the baby boom generation is sort of uh, uh, stepping down from being active in hunting. You know, they're no longer serving as those parent roles. And so we've got to find alternative uh, routes for folks who don't hunt and weren't raised hunting uh, or fishing to to find a door through the obstacles into the outdoors. And that's that's really what QDMA and a lot of other groups are, are working on now. Yeah, I love that. And like you said, many of us have, you know, we started out in it, but even those that don't, and I know QDMA does a great job of getting other people involved and inviting other people. And would you just talk a little bit about how QDMA gets other people involved and introduces hunting and venison to to others, but then maybe how we can get involved with that as well? Yeah. Um, you know, for a while we did what a lot of other groups did or thought was the best approach, and that was um, taking kids hunting, uh, reaching out and trying to find young folks who did not have a hunter in the family, who wanted to learn, had an interest, and finding ways to take them outdoors. And we did a lot of that and, and still do a lot of that. And then about three years ago, um, our staff member here, Hank Forrester, who's uh, in, in charge of our hunting heritage programs, um, uh, working with a, a partner here with the Georgia Wildlife Federation, they came up with an idea they wanted to try to go down to the, the Athens Farmer's Market. We're here in Athens, Georgia. 
which is a university town, the University of Georgia is here. They came up with the idea to go down to the Athens Farmer's Market in August and take along some pre-grilled venison backstrap and some various recipes, some jerky, uh, and hand out samples of venison to folks at the farmer's market and ask them, uh, for those who came up and wanted to try it, to begin a conversation about, you know, hey, would you like to learn to hunt and procure your own local wild venison? And they had planned to provide a training course for the people who said yes. That was already in place. They had a, a, a sort of brief training course, uh, and then a plan for getting them in the woods with mentors that they would be paired up with. All that was in place. And the first time they tried this, they ended up with a waiting list to get into the program. The reception was overwhelming. You know, they really didn't know, we didn't know how they'd be received um, in a downtown urban farmer's market passing out venison samples. Um, but the, the reception was entirely uh, positive and people were very interested. And, and what we learned from that and have built on that since then, in the, in the three years since that pilot project, is that reaching out to folks who don't hunt from a food standpoint, particularly from the standpoint of offering them the opportunity to learn to, to procure their own food that is wild, healthy, local, sustainable, some of those key words that many, many folks are interested in right now. That is a powerful invitation, is what we found. And that there are a lot of people out there that, that you know, most of your typical hunters like me and you have been in this a while um, and know this, this run-in hunting circles. You know, most of us would not think of folks like this as folks who'd be interested in hunting. But it's actually a very, very diverse group of people who have responded to our appeal. Um, and it's through the food connection. It is offering them, as an adult, the opportunity to learn how to hunt and how to fill their own freezer uh, with, again, healthy, local, wild uh, meat. And that it's worked extremely well. We have encountered folks from all walks of life uh, who said, yes, I want to learn. And what we've found, Brooks, out of that, compared to the previous approach of, of working with kids, when you think about this, if you teach a 25-year-old person who's uh, got a job, has income, has a driver's license, has you know time on their hands, can choose to do what they want to with it, and you teach them to hunt, that person, once they're ready to uh, fly on their own, can immediately go out the next day and go hunting. They can go buy themselves a new bow, a new firearm, a hunting license. Uh, they can take a friend. They can share the venison that they, they acquire with others. They can teach others immediately. Whereas if you take a 12-year-old kid, uh, or 13, 14, whatever the age, it's going to be a number of years before that person has disposable income, a driver's license, and the uh, independence to make decisions like that. And so what we are seeing with this, and, and we call our program Field to Fork, what we're seeing with this is immediate replication through our recruits of what we want to see happen. We've seen about 80% of the people who have come through our program stay with hunting and continue to hunt on their own. And many of those have immediately begun to teach others to share their venison, to have, you know, dinners and invite friends over and, and, and share this new resource they found, share their pride in learning to acquire their own food. And so the payback is immediate and it replicates itself rapidly. That's what we've discovered is the difference between taking uh, youth uh, and kids hunting and, and reaching out to these adults who are interested in, um, again, this locavore movement, these, these key words we're talking about, like natural, sustainable, local, uh, wild, um, all of the things that so many people were already looking for, healthy, 
you know, these many folks were already looking for new ways to acquire their own food that, that touched these, checked all these boxes. And this has just been the, the we're in the right place at the right time to reach out to folks and offer them this. And, and it has worked um, extremely well. We are in the process right now. Um, you know, the first year was the pilot project. The next year we spun it off into, I think, nine different states. This past year, we were in more than 20 different states with our volunteer QDMA branches helping us uh, replicate this in different areas. Um, and we're working on now on a program to expand it even larger because, you know, the success um, is has been great and we need to we need to grow it. Um, there are more people out there um, who are waiting for hunters to reach out to them and invite them to learn how to go out there and get their own wild food. That That's amazing that, that it's grown that fast. And, you know, like you said, it's that receptive in, in what you might say a, a college town that you might not think is full of outdoorsmen and full of those looking to hunt and fish, but you're looking at those. And when it comes to that, aspect of it are you are you finding people this is a question that i have for myself do you have people that are worried about eating deer meat um we know with with corvid 19 supposedly came from an animal and i know you're you're one of the guys i wanted to ask about this with the cwd or the ehd or the blue tongue whatever uh deer disease may be out there are you concerned about a human contracting that and maybe how we can mitigate the risk of something like that happen. Kind of, I think China now is trying to put out a thing where they're wanting to prevent, you know, the consumption of wild meat and things of that nature. And I definitely want to make sure we don't go through that here in these States, but uh, how can we mitigate the risk or is there, is there any risk of something like that going from a deer disease to uh, a human disease like this COVID-19 has? Well, I don't know, you know, when specifically to this coronavirus, whether uh, deer can carry it or whether, you know, there's any any concern there. I, there's none that I'm aware of. Um, now, with chronic wasting disease, CWD, uh, there are ways to mitigate your risk with that. And the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, do recommend that you minimize your concerns, that you not eat venison from a deer or elk or moose that was positive for chronic wasting disease. Um, and we can go into a lot of the details on that. That's all part of, you know, when we set up this field to fork training program, it's one of the things we go through with them is talking about, you know, how do you know when you should eat a deer or not? It's something we talk about with, with veteran deer hunters too, because we get this question a lot. Somebody shoots a deer, deer get all kind of diseases, hemorrhagic disease and they, they get injuries and they get cysts and uh, infections and all kinds of, you know, things that uh, any other animals exposed to out there. And if, and if you kill one, it doesn't look very healthy. We get that question. Should I eat this deer? You know, there was, there was um, you know, an infection or whatever on its head or on, somewhere on yeah. its body. And, you know, there's guidelines for that. No, if, if you, if a deer had a very large infection, it was very clearly, you know, uh, not doing well, not a healthy animal. No, you should not eat that regardless of what, um, you know, the cause of that uh, infection was. It's not a good idea. And, and that's always been our recommendation. Now, when it comes to chronic wasting disease, you know, our guidelines are wherever you hunt, and this goes for me, you, any deer hunter, not just new hunting recruits, but Wherever you hunt, you should be informing yourself to find out whether you hunt in um, an area that is a CWD management zone. It's very easy to find out. Uh, there's lots of ways. One of the ways um, uh, we've partnered with Onyx Maps, and through the if you have the Onyx app, you, one of the layers you can activate is the CWD map layer, and it shows you counties that are positive for CWD throughout the United States, and those are updated regularly. So if you hunt in a CWD county 
or state, uh, check with the state agency. They'll let you know, you know, the areas where you need to follow certain regulations. And the bottom line is, if you're hunting in one of those areas, every deer you harvest, you should submit for sampling and testing for CWD. It's usually a free process in the CWD zones. You drop off um, the deer's head or, or some sort, let, you know, go by and the agency at a check station pulls the uh, lymph nodes or whatever they need to do the testing. And then they let you know in a short period of time, a few days to a couple of weeks, the results. And what we say is, and what the scientists say is, don't eat that venison until you get back results that say the deer, uh, that CWD was not detected. And that's a way to minimize your risks. Now, the important thing to point out here, Brooks, is that, as you know, there's never been a case of illness in humans uh, from eating uh, a deer. No, there's never been a case of this disease, CWD, jumping to a human from venison consumption. Right. Um, so, but the experts all say we cannot conclusively prove that it cannot happen because of the way some of these diseases operate. As you know, things change. These viruses change. These prions change, whatever it might be. They change over time, and, and we, don't, we can't say that, that this couldn't happen. So for right now, you minimize your risk by testing deer if you hunt in one of these areas and waiting to consume the venison. If the tests come back positive for CWD, you need to discard that venison in a safe way, uh, and the state agency can tell you how to do that. Um, you know, listening to the experts, they are watching and researching this all the time. There are areas of the West in Colorado and Wyoming where CWD has been out there for decades now, um, since the 60s, in wild mule deer, in wild elk, and places like that. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that over those years, someone, lots of someone, have shot CWD positive elk and deer and eaten them. Because the way this disease works is that uh, most deer will carry the disease for a year to up to two years before showing symptoms. So what might look like a totally healthy deer or elk to you could be carrying CWD and just isn't showing the symptoms yet. So do we know people have probably eaten this? Yes, we do. And what the scientists are doing is watching those areas, those endemic areas as they call them, areas where there's a lot of hunting activity going on and they know this has probably happened. They're looking for a pattern. If they started to see a pattern of uh, these brain syndromes in humans, the similarity, the similar uh, syndrome in humans that 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 is re- related to CWD in deer, then they'd be worried. They're not seeing that. It's been decades now, and they are not seeing any patterns emerge of human Ill- illness in areas like that. And the experts will tell you that's a very good sign. But they still will hedge their bets and tell you we still cannot say how long it needs to be before we can say this disease cannot jump the barrier to humans. And therefore, I repeat again, until then, if you hunt in one of these zones and you kill what looks like a healthy deer, submit it for testing uh, and then wait to get the results before you eat the venison. And we teach that to to everyone, all deer hunters. We're trying to get the message out about that and certainly to our new deer hunter. Great. And, and even if you're not in a CWD zone, I know for here in Tennessee, the southwest portion of Tennessee has, it just seems like over the past year or two, it's just, you know, it's gradually growing of like, all right, you know, you know, positive here, and then they have like the red, the orange, the yellow, the different colors of warning levels, I guess you will, of, you know, watch out for this area, but this one has a positive in it. And where we hunt is, I would say, about two counties away, two to three counties away from a CWD area. And and I've, you know, I've, I've asked the game warden, I was like, should we get tested? You know, if we kill one, I just kind of was like, man, we just, you know, maybe the first one we kill this year, we just test it just to make sure. And, you know, and he was like, well, there's no reason to test right now, but I just kind of want to get your expert opinion of how close, um, you know, for a CWD area, uh, do we need to be in one that's confirmed or, you know, bordering one? And how close do we need to be before we actually really need to, you know, be concerned about getting our animal tested? 
Yeah, I don't know that there's a certain range I would give you. Um, your agency will stay on top of that. So everybody needs to stay in touch with their state agency, sign up for their newsletters, follow them on social media, however you want to connect with them, and, and pay attention to what they're saying about hunting regulations in your state. You know, And that's a good thing relative to CWD or any other hunting aspect, to be in touch right. with your state agency. Uh, and let them guide you on that. They'll, they'll tell you when testing becomes mandatory. But I would say that if you're in one of these, you know, uh, bordering or adjacent counties or, or the next over, um, it, it never hurts. If, if your agency in your area is making testing freely available to you, it never hurts to do that simply to help them have more samples. That helps them monitor. It is a good idea for agencies in these areas, and they're, they're stepping up their monitoring um, to know where the disease is located. And the more testing and monitoring they can do, the better. So, you know, if it's a freely available to you, if, if they are, they're telling you, you know, come by this check station, even though it's not mandatory, if you come by here, we'll, we'll do a test for you. I would say do it because um, just an extra precaution on your part, but also you are helping the agency do their monitoring that they need to do. So it's a good idea. If it's freely available to you, do it. Um, you know, if they say, look, you know, it's not mandatory or free here and we'll do it for you for 10 or 15 bucks. I still, it's not going to hurt anything to do it. You're still helping right. out. So, um, I don't think there's any, you know, there's no fear there. You don't need to, to, to worry, uh, until your agency tells you you are now in a mandatory zone where it's been detected. But again, it's a good idea to help them out with, with testing and monitoring wherever you're located. Yeah. And I know that this year I, I normally do a lot of like neck roast where I'll just, you know, I'll leave the, the, all the vertebrae and everything in the neck. And of course, all that. All, you know, the, the, the collagen that's, you know, in all the joints and everything, it's good for you. And, uh, and I know this year I didn't do that just for the simple fact, you know, I was learning the CWD is in the brain, the spinal fluid, and I didn't want to be cooking a, you know, slow cooker of, of a, you know, and having the actual spinal column in there cooking it just in case. And, um, and I know I think we may have talked about that a little bit and, and have talked to a few others about the CWD and they're like, well, just to be safe, don't don't eat the brains and the you know, anything around the spine, don't cook that. So I kind of took that precaution, um, but we're not in a CWD area, but still it's like, ah, well, just in case I won't make bone broth out of, a, you know, the spinal column or, you know, even a lot of, a lot of deer meat just because of that, of you know, where it's located. So kind of taking those precautions is always good, uh, even if you're not in that area. But if you're, you know, you know, it's close by, um, like you said, that that's, there's no proof that it has jumped over, but I mean, by testing, I, you know, this year I definitely want to get some tested and just to make sure that where we're hunting, there's, you know, the CWD is not there yet. If it, it you know, hopefully it won't get there, but it, hopefully it's not, you won't, you know, that's not there yet anyway. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, as like you said, the prions that cause CWD uh, do tend to concentrate um, in the brain, the spinal column, the eyeballs the spleen, um, and a few other internal organs. Um, you know, it is present in, in muscle um, as well, but in much, much lower levels. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, they recommend, you know, not consuming anything like that part of the deer. And certainly when it comes to transporting a carcass, you know, if you if you that's leave great. where you hunt and go out of state or across a county line or, or whatever, Whatever travel you're doing, if you leave a non-CWD area and you're going to a CWD management zone to hunt, um, do not leave that area with the entire carcass. Uh, the guidelines now are to go ahead and bone it out 
yourself uh, and leave the, the carcass, the bones, the organ, everything uh, disposed properly according to the local agency's guidelines and, and you know what they prepared to help you uh, get rid of that on site and then go home with boned out meat um, or antlers and at most a clean skull plate. Um, that's the traveling requirements. And again, the reason is that those prions are, are concentrated in those other areas that you've left behind. Um, because, I mean, literally, if you, um, and, and this is happening, this is what we're trying to get hunters to stop doing. Folks traveling to a CWD area, shooting a deer, putting it, maybe field dressing it and putting it in the back of a vehicle, and heading home and driving a couple hours or even more back home to a non-CWD area. And let's say they finish processing the deer at home and then toss the remains, the bones, the, the head, and everything else in the backyard. Well, you've, if that deer was CWD positive, you've just created a little hotspot of CWD prions. And they are very tough in the environment. They last out there for a very long time. And should a, a healthy deer come in contact with those down the road, it's going to lead to an outbreak. Uh, spot. So that's, yeah, both from a transport standpoint and preventing the spread of the disease, but also from your own health. If you're in an area like this, no, I would probably recommend not, uh, you know, uh, boiling down the spine or something like that. Right. Um, because that spinal column, that spinal cord is known to be a, a place where the prions concentrate. Now, if you, if you freeze it, and your test comes back, uh, you know, CWD not detected, um, you're, you're minimizing your risk. But at the same time, I mean, the thing to remember about this is that test is not a food safety test. Uh, you get two results. You get CWD positive or you get CWD not detected. And, and not detected does not mean negative. Right. It, you know, you could have a deer, for example, that is in the very earliest phases of infection and is going to die eventually of CWD. But, you know, when you killed it and harvested it, it was just say a few days in, uh, and there weren't enough prions in the system built up yet for that test to detect it. Um, so, uh, you know, eating a, a part like the spine or, or, or boiling that down would probably be, particularly if you are in a CWD zone or you are, you know, on the fringe of one. Um, again, I'd say minimize my risk and, uh, from a deer like that, only eat the boned out venison after it tests, uh, you know, not detected for CWD. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. I mean, it's great information because, like I said, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure will be on a lot of uh, a lot of hunters' minds as you know we're finding out more about how this COVID nineteen has been. You know, it you know came from China and all that craziness. But uh, you know, it's something that we we want to make sure and keep an eye on just for our own deer population is we want to make sure that we can pass that on to others and uh, down the road and uh, that you know that we don't allow. CWD to, to to grow and that we can minimize the risk, you know, to the deer and to the, the deer population that we have right now. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, Brooks, about that, you know, talking about the origin of this virus, you know, what I know about it that I have, have read, and I know more will come out later once we've kind of gotten behind this, gotten the, the crisis part behind us. But, um, you know, the origin most likely was in these markets where wild animals were being captured, held in cages, kept in these markets alive. Um, and, and of course, some of them also, you know, dead uh, for sale in these markets, but, but many of them alive in these crowded conditions in these markets with humans, with a lot of other wild animals in, you know, maybe somewhat unsanitary conditions crowded in these food markets uh, and, and mixed in with livestock as well, uh, domestic livestock that were for sale. Uh, and when you, and, and it was sort of that condition, I think, that where this rose from, I think, that it does not necessarily mean that, that eating any wild animal, particularly a healthy one that was living out there in the woods that you brought home and ate, that's not the same thing. 
is is my understanding. So yeah, it's not like yeah. wild deer and healthy animals are walking around with coronavirus and you, you're right. going to get that. The, the the conditions, and again, this is my understanding. It was those that sort of um, perfect storm of of combination of livestock and and human disease issues and wild animals all mixed into this these market uh, scenes that uh, led to this this problem we're dealing with now. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've been in China, you know, when I was, I was over there working with Olympic athletes and I, I've seen some of these markets and, you know, there, there are animals that have, that are, they're just stacked on cages where you might have, you know, a bird on top of, uh, you know, some kind of, I mean, it look, you know, it looks, I mean, sadly, it looks like it's, it could be somebody's pet. It could be a wild animal of different kinds and they're just stacked on top of each other. And, you know, I mean, a, a bird's on top and, you know, the droppings right. of three animals are falling on top of the, you know, the rabbit at the bottom. I mean, so you don't, you know, and it's, it's not, it's definitely not a healthy place, um, probably to get your meat. And even when I was there, you know, I probably ate some things. I didn't know what they were. Um, but you know, I was like, well, you know, and and for most part, I mean, I definitely didn't buy anything in any markets like that. But it, but you would see them, and uh, and so I, it was definitely a lot different than going out and getting your own your own deer. Um, that's that's a, a definitely a whole different ball game yes. of uh, sanitary uh, and non sanitary situations for sure. Yeah, going back to what we were saying earlier, I mean, when you when you kill a deer, and, and it you know you know it's healthy, it's got fat. Around the organs and under the hide, when you skin it, um, you know it's it's looking healthy. Uh, and and if again, if you're in a CWD zone and that test comes back, um, you know negative, then you know you're fine. Um, but wherever you are, if you kill a deer and you can see its ribs and its spine and you know hip bones jutting out and it's uh, did not look healthy, wasn't behaving healthy. Maybe has a visible infection of some kind, a you know boil or cyst or or hernia, you know whatever that might be. Deer are susceptible to all these things, tumors, just like we are. And you see something like this that you know is a is a red flag that this animal is not healthy. No, don't eat it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've done that before. You know, you cut into a deer and you're like that something doesn't smell right, something doesn't look yep. right, and you're like, up, oh, you know, and you're like this, you know, pus, whatever it may be. Like, I thought, you know, and so we're like, man, you know, I, I was looking forward to a freezer full of meat, but I'm just, you know, I don't feel comfortable feeding this. It's kind of the same thing if you went to the grocery store and you bought some food and you opened it, you know, bought a pack of meat and you opened it up and it just smelled rank. Yeah. You're not going to feed that to your family, and I think that's a great key. Um, but you know what? Man, you've given us tons of information on this, on CWD and just the background of, of eating healthy meat. Um, but just, I want to get a little bit of insight from you on, on your fitness and how you stay healthy and fit. Cause yeah, I know personally you're an active guy and you're out in the woods a lot and you're, you're helping other people to learn about the woods. And so you have to stay healthy and active to kind of keep them going and, and just to keep your energy up. And uh, just, I want to give a little bit of insight to you and your your fitness and your health regimen and how you stay fit and healthy. Well, I'm no model of fitness and health. I'll I'll just admit that right up front, Brooks. I mean, I follow you and have been very interested in a lot of what you teach people about this. Um, you know, so and I'm I am not you know uh, the pinnacle here of physical fitness, but I do uh, try to do my best, both from a standpoint of physical fitness and mental fitness. I think that hunting and the outdoors play an enormous role in mental fitness, um, in, in holistic health. So yeah, I'm big on all these things. You know, for me, 
Um, I started getting more serious about this kind of stuff maybe 10 or 15 years ago when I had um, in my, and I'm, I'm almost 50 years old now, in my late 30s to early 40s, I, I had a couple of periods where I, my back went out because I had strained it. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're dealing with back pain, particularly, uh, intense right at first, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get out of bed. It's tough to put your socks on and tie your shoes. And, um, I just said, you know, I don't want to do this again. And I did a bunch of homework. And, and what I've discovered for me was that regular stretching, uh, particularly some particular, you know, stretches that, that focus on the lower back and the legs and, um, and, and everything else. Stretching and working on my range of motion has prevented me having any trouble with that, um, since then. And then beyond that, I'm just, I do as much cardio as I can. I love, I love walking. I try to do as much walking as I can every day. Um, I do run sometimes. I'm not any big, I'm not a, running hasn't come naturally to me either mentally or physically. In terms of long range running. So I'm not a I marathoner. Yeah. I'm not a marathoner or anything like that, but I do like to run when I can. I like to trail run, particularly and, and get on a good hiking trail somewhere and run through the woods. Um, but mostly, you know, year round and every day I walk as much as I can. So I work on, uh, you know, stretching and range of motion and good cardio fitness and trying to eat right as well. Um, but then, the other part again for me is is the the mental health, uh, the meditative uh, aspects of being outdoors. One of the things I, I like to do, and I, and I tell this a lot of people too, you know, you you hear the advice that if you work at a desk, don't sit there all day. You know, through some periods, at least once an hour, get up, stand up, walk around a little bit. And I certainly do try to do that. In fact, I'm standing right now as we talk. Um, so at least once an hour, I try to. I, as a writer, I work at my desk. I try to get up once an hour, and I go out the the front door. And I take about a 100-yard walk up to the gate here at QDMA National Headquarters. Uh, there are trees. There's open sky. And um, and walk out there, turn around, and come back, sit back down at my desk. It takes me about four minutes. But in that time, simply getting outside and getting a breath of fresh air and seeing the trees and hearing some birds and, you know, whatever the weather is, if it's raining, I take an umbrella. Um, but, it, you know, when it's sunny, seeing the sun, seeing the flowers, seeing whatever's going on outdoors any season, that just couple of minutes of getting outside is, to me, excellent for just mental fitness. It, it makes me focused again. And when I come back inside and sit down at my computer again, I feel renewed focus. Um, I feel, you know, reinvigorated, not only from the walk, but just from, again, clearing my head, taking a deep breath and seeing the outdoors. So, you know, the outdoors doesn't have to be a weekend camping trip. It doesn't have to be a, a weekend at, at deer camp to have those benefits. It can be a minute at a time outside. And I know, you know, plenty of people work in urban scenarios, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, in office settings where they don't have trees that they can necessarily get to real easily. But even if you can just open a window, get some fresh air, hear a bird, uh, see a bird, and just reconnect with the outdoors for a couple of minutes, it really will several times throughout the day, it will, um, I think, you know, keep that mental fitness. We know that when you, I mean, all of us know when you go out and spend an afternoon or a morning in a deer stand and you relax and you listen and you tune into nature uh, and you see the sunrise or set and you watch nature go about its cycles and you become a part of it sitting there and hunting, we know that that is enormously beneficial to us, again, from that, that mental standpoint. And so that's an important thing to me. But the physical part too, I mean, when I go to, you know, 
I do a lot of habitat work. As a deer habitat manager, I, I do a lot of habitat work and, you know, running a chainsaw and, and planting food plots and putting up deer stands. All of these things can be physically intensive. Um, and so I don't, you know, if you spend the day putting up two or three lock homes, you don't want to be completely shot at the end of the day and sore the next day. So to me, it's important to always be walking, running when I can, um, doing that stretching and toning. I do some lifting. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not a heavy, I'm not throwing t- tractor tires around or, you know, seeing what my max bench press is. Um, I'm just doing some light uh, weights and, uh, and lifting. I do push-ups as often as I can. Um, you want to keep that, I find, keep that um, uh muscle tone uh, for whether it is climbing a tree to hang a lock on um, or drawing your bow. Um, and, and so all of that, that range of motion, that that uh, cardio fitness and muscle fitness uh, keeps you able to do those things uh, no matter how old you are. My dad is 76 now. He's very physically active. He has a, a workout routine every day. He probably does it more intensively than I do because he's got more time to do it now that he's retired. Um, and he stays active in hunting. He still bow hunts. He still you know, hunts throughout the deer season. He goes out west and elk hunts. Um, so, and at 76, still, you know, he's bucking the curve on that because we're finding that at about age 70 is when most hunters begin to uh, uh, stop participating in hunting as much as they used to. But I believe that physical fitness is what's enabling my dad to stay plugged in and, and enjoying it as much as he always has. That's awesome. And, you know, the fact that we can look at the studies and see about 70 but like you said the you know what i love about you is you move well you know you're getting that movement where you're moving well and then you can move often and it's one of my, my one of my uh, pt mentors he used to say you teach people to move well then you teach them to move often and then they can move more they can move heavy you know it's like you you've got to get where your joints move properly then you can walk then you can run then you can lift heavy whatever you need to do but if you're not moving well first then you're just going to be putting stress and strain on top of a bad movement which is going to cause injury and that's what you're talking about like you know you once you got to moving well now you can move more you can move more often you can move better and uh and i think that's real real key is just always moving always doing something and uh and like you said the mental side uh you know the 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 japanese term shinrin yoku which is uh you know translated into forest bathing and yeah. and it's, it's funny they do studies now that you know even if you're in downtown new york you could take a five ten minute walk in central park or green space you see trees you hear birds and you come back to the office and your stress hormones are lower and you're more relaxed and you're more productive then if you took a 10 minute walk and all you saw was cities and you all you saw was skyscrapers. And it's, it's interesting that, I mean, as hunters, we know that, you know, I mean, I know my wife, sometimes she's like, all right, honey, like you either need to work out, you need to eat, or you need to go to the woods, or maybe you need to do all three right now. I don't know. <laughs> she's like, you just need to go outside, you know, like it's like, so she's like, do you just need to go outside for a little bit? You know, I'm like, Maybe I just need to, you know, and so we all know just getting outside, it, it makes us feel better and it's good for us. And I think that mental aspect is really, really key. But I um, came across that word forest bathing, that 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 concept uh, and that phrase last year, I guess it was, starting to see a couple of articles about it and, and started reading about it. And I thought, huh, you know, this is nothing new to deer hunters. We know how to forest bathe. You know, exactly. we've recognized for a long time the the spiritual and mental benefits of Getting out alone in the woods and and being a predator, stopping, getting quiet, being still, uh, and watching things unfold around you, becoming a part of that. Um, that is, yeah, I mean, that is forest bathing. And, and I thought, boy, you know, 
this isn't anything new to us. And most people, I mean, if you're like me, I'm not able to sit still. So this whole meditation of sitting and, um, you know, all that stuff is not, it doesn't do, it doesn't do it for me, but you let me get outside with my bow in hand and fight just five to 10 minutes, maybe shooting my bow. You know, it's an active meditation and, uh, for me. And so it, it's part of that, you know, that connected to the outdoors, just being outside, like that silence of, when you're shooting your bow, it's almost like I think about, you know, as an athlete, you know, uh, like you're just focused in on what you're doing. Everything else, the crowd can be screaming and you hear nothing. Um, and it's that same way with that active meditation, just being outside or or sitting in the deer stand. How many times have you been sitting in the deer stand? Then all of a sudden that problem that you've been thinking about all week and you're like, oh, that's how I fix that or you know, a great idea comes to you yes. you know, when you're sitting in the deer stand, like, oh, I never, you know, an article topic come on oh i never thought about that and you know before you you just almost like you're ready to go home and write or do whatever you've got to get done because it it just hits you you know like a ton of bricks between the eyes but i, I think it's great just that mental aspect that you brought up i really appreciate that um in in closing i have one more question for you and that would be what would it what would be your definition of a healthy hunter wow um a definition of a healthy hunter, I think, is, you know, someone who uh, just sort of incorporates and understands these things we've been talking about, the, the holistic aspect of hunting and health from consuming healthy food, healthy wild food. Uh, I mean, you, you know that venison is, is supremely healthy, particularly compared to uh, beef and, I mean, and other, other uh, red meats. I mean, it's the way to go. Uh, so consuming fish and game and those healthy wild foods. Um, you know, the mental aspects that come with uh, becoming a hunter and focusing on being a hunter, focusing on the focus you need as a predator, but also the immersion in the natural world and, and playing that natural role we play. Um, you know, and then for me, too, it comes with part of the definition is creating a healthy world out there for the animals you're hunting. Um, we can make choices locally with the habitat uh, to help improve the habitat for deer and other game and other wildlife, not just things we hunt and eat. Um, and, and that's the other thing that QDMA teaches a lot about is how to have balanced, healthy habitat with plenty of nutrition for deer um, so that you can have healthier deer. So that's part of it, too, is giving back to the health of the place where you hunt and the animals you hunt. You know, we aren't just consumers um, of deer. Uh, we are managers of deer or we can be. You can make choices about um, the deer you harvest and the habitat you create for them that increases the health of that whole situation and that whole ecology of the deer. Um, so it's a complicated definition, Brooks. It's hard to pinpoint that down to one thing because it, it has to do with the personal and physical health uh, of being a, a, a capable and, and healthy hunter. It has to do with that, um, you know, uh, the, the consuming and sharing of healthy wild foods and sharing the benefits of those. And it has to do with the creation of a healthy scenario and ecology that, that you're going to be hunting in. It's, it's a pretty, it's hard to sum up. I'll say that. Yeah. I think holistic would have been one of the best things you said right there. And, and as you mentioned that the deer, you know, we're able to impact that and we really are what we eat ate. And, and I know that other people may see that when you just get a fast food burger, you don't feel as good. And there's definitely not as much minerals nutrition vitamins in in that as there is something that lived and breathed 
and died the way it was supposed to. Um, you know, even we talk about a fish has omega three in it, and that's one reason the big things about it fish but if you look at wild game things that even even if you compare beef that was factory farmed or that was free range beef the free range beef has a has a better omega-3 to omega-6 ratio than that that was factory farmed and how much better is the wild game it has all that stuff it's just you know you can eat four ounces of venison and feel full as where you're trying to get a 12 ounce t-bone at the restaurant you know and and i leave there hungry but i can eat half of that much venison or elk and i'm like that was awesome i feel full like it it gave me what i need um without as much you know having to consume as much because it's just super power packed full of goodness think of this this is one of the fascinating things we know about deer and elk um is that they have an innate capability to know the plants uh, and food sources around them that have the the most benefits for them. Um, And we know from studies that it's not always, you know, a lot of hunters think, well, it's all protein. You want to, if you grow food plots, you want to be planting the plant with the most protein. We know from studies that there are plenty of plants out there, naturally occurring plants, that deer highly prefer that are very low in protein and digestibility. And it's because those plants have other minerals, other nutrients, other things that deer require besides just protein. Um, you know, certainly that's important too. And many of the highly preferred plants that they prefer, wild plants, have high protein levels, but it's a mix. And, and what we know from that, that not only do they know the plants that are best for them and how to find those, they eat the best parts of those plants. They'll eat the youngest, tenderest parts of those plants. So they are very skilled at detecting um, the best quality food sources out there. You might go plant some crop, soybeans or whatever it is, that you think is the ultimate deer food, and then stand there and watch them browse some plant on the edge of that plot. Before they eat the, the, the food plot crop, they're going to eat from a, a diversity of different things. They're going to eat your food plot. But then they're going to walk into the edge of the woods and browse some other thing you didn't even know what it was and didn't think it was good deer food. The deer knows. And so ultimately, that pays off in that venison steak you're talking about. That's why you you feel uh, satisfied from eating that small piece of venison. The protein, the minerals, the vitamins, they're going into the deer from the habitat and into you. Whereas, you know, that steak that comes from, you know, a, a domestically raised cow, you don't know, you know, many of those animals, though, they might have been grass-fed, but others of them are, are given diets that are more limited. Uh, and they're chosen by people. They don't have the ability to choose the foods they would want to eat if they could, like a wild deer does. And that that explains what you just said. Yeah, I mean, we're not giving deer antibiotics. You know, we don't. They don't. They can't go to the pharmacy. And it's it's interesting that you know I've, I've read studies about the deer. You know, if if there's something wrong with them, they'll seek out. It's like they you know they have this natural thing. It's like oh wait, you know, and a, like dandelion is supposed to be kind of a toxin you know, helped clean the liver or whatever, you know, you might see them go eat dandelion leaves or, you know, there's some, some plant that they may eat that we think that's, why are they eating that? And it could be because there's an upset stomach. They have, you know, something going on and that's their aspirin. That's their, you know, medicine and, and that's how they get it. And it's, it's so crazy that they innately know what they need. Um, no matter what food plot we plant, they're going to get what they need. And it's, and y'all, y'all have done, QDMA has done so many great studies and, and they, you've got that great video out about the, the deer and about how, you know, the management process of, you know, people look at the antlers. I encourage anybody to get online and check out that video because, you know, everybody's 
everybody's like, oh, that's a that's a shooter that you know, and you may not realize that how much what the deer eats also as as well as the genetics go into uh, that and kind of it plays right in what you're talking about. The deer know what they need and they're going to get it. And you know, and, and y'all put out so much great information. The QDMA is amazing. If you're not a member, you should join. This is not a sponsored post. I am I am a paying <laughs> member myself, and I I love getting the magazine. I sit down with with my son and we'll. You know, we'll look at the deer. We'll talk about the different things in there. And, and, you know, my dad and my friend Garrett, you know, that I always talk about, he, he's always asking me questions and we're talking. I told him I was coming on here with you and he was all excited to hear what you would have to talk about the CWD <laughs> and everything. And uh, but we talk about all the information that's in the magazine and what everything you put out online and the videos. And it's such a great thing that I'm just, I'm just grateful for what QDMA, for, for what you're doing, Mr. Thomas. I really appreciate it. And uh, just share with everybody as we close where we can find out more about you, about QDMA and, and how we can get involved in uh, encouraging other people uh, to get out there. You know, maybe as with the farmer's market, Markets and things of that nature of what you're doing. It, you know, QDMA.com is the single best uh, point to go. That's our website. Um, it will introduce you into everything from the events that our volunteers hold around the area. You know, those are currently postponed, but we'll get back to those soon enough. Uh, how to get in touch with our grassroots volunteers around the country. Um, you know, the content, educational information we have to share, how to join, um, how to get involved, how to learn from us. So QDMA.com, how to get in touch with me if you're interested. Um, you know, how to get in touch with any of our staff, how to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so I'd encourage folks to follow us there and, and learn more about us. But uh, go to the website, QDMA.com, see who we are. Uh, I really think that any deer hunter who may have, you know, there's a lot of, some people have preconceived notions about who we are and what we stand for. But I think um, until you go to our website and, and learn a little bit about us and see the messages we share, you really may not know. So go find out. And I, I don't see any reason why any deer hunter wouldn't see in us something they can support. I totally agree. And um, guys, just go in there, check it out. And I think uh, your membership is not very expensive. And a lot of times you get you get a gift that's, you know, n- including the magazine. And I got a hat the other day. I mean, like you get, you're going to get in your pocket, you're going to get back more than you put in to such organizations like QDMA, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's an amazing place. Just go there, check it out and definitely just sign up. And, uh, Mr. Thomas, I greatly appreciate you coming on your, your expertise, your information is amazing. And I'm, I'm always just astonished at the knowledge that you have, that you share about the deer, about the land, and just about how to get other people involved. And I love every every moment of it. Thank you very much. Well, if you're going to call me Mr. Thomas, I'm going to call you Dr. Tiller, and I'm going to say, Dr. <laughs> Tiller, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And uh, thank you again. It, it's been uh, it's been a real honor. It's just hard. It's hard for me to say, Lindsay, just because of the simple fact that I've always looked up to you and that you're just such a uh, inspiration and as a as a content creator, if you will, like just the things that you write in your knowledge. I just always look up to you, and so um, it's it's a respectful thing, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored, Brooks. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Hope y'all got a lot out of this. Go to QDMA and check it out. All right. Stay humble, be hungry, and get healthy.